Okay, so if you have your Bibles, it'll also be projected overhead. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Okay, I've uh, entitled it, Results of Real Faith, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. I'll read it for us. Let's listen to it as our act of worship. On the, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's holy, powerful word for us this morning. Uh, in Jesus' day and throughout Old Testament times, your physical condition uh, was actually a sign and a symbol of your spiritual condition. And so in particular, this gruesome frankly, gross disease called leprosy depicted the grossness and the guilt and the pollution of sin and all the kinds of separations it brings. In the book of Leviticus, lepers could not come near the temple of God. They were excluded from the camp of God. They were excluded from the people of God. They dare not come near anything to do with the things of God. Because lepers were a sign of God's curse. That physical disease was a sign of a spiritual curse. It showed what a living death looks like. But here, you can understand, ten lepers are standing far off. They have to cry out in desperation with a loud voice. But here comes God. Oh, mind you, my friend, Jesus was not just a human being. He was God incarnate, God's own son. And God came in person. God came near to heal even these 10 lepers. Now, I would only imagine that these 10 men were very, very jaded, frustrated, maybe had entered into points of they just thought it was all hopeless for them, they were probably bitter, very bitter. Bitter at God, why doesn't anything ever get better? Bitter at the world. You know, particularly in these holiday seasons, for most people, it is actually very tempting and rough to get bitter and stay bitter. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, why... Why can't I have a better life? Why can't I have a better job? Why can't I have a better husband or wife? Why can't I have kids or better kids? Why can't I have a better income? Why can't I have a better physical situation? Why can't I have better friends? <coughs> oh, my friends, with these 10 lepers, they had every reason to be so bitter, bitter at God. But I want you to notice, as soon 
as God arrives. And here's one of the telltale signs that you have ever encountered or come close to the holy and beautiful presence of God. Notice what the lepers do not do. In fact, if you ever get close to God, you dare not do it. You won't be able to do it. The lepers do not blame God for their miseries. The lepers do not stay bitter. They beg for mercy. Because if and when you really do come close to the holy and beautiful presence of God, you are going to start begging to not get what you really deserve. Anyone who comes close to a living and holy God, you will drop all the blaming about your present miseries, and you're going to begin to beg for mercy. God, please don't give me what I really deserve. And this is what the ten lepers precisely do. And look at what Jesus does. He commands them, go, 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 show yourselves to the priests, to the priests. There was some purpose to this. There's intentionality to everything Jesus said and did. Because for the ten lepers to go to the priests, <clears throat> they would have to go all the way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a three days journey. Did you know that? Three days walk. So once Jesus pronounces these words, the ten lepers had to walk and walk and walk and walk. And they had to go and go and go and go. They were not immediately healed. That's what the scripture tells us. They were not immediately cleansed or cured. Three-day walk, and they kept going and going and going. And then at some point, they found out they were healed. When any person believes and follows Jesus at his word in faith, you will find that you are cleansed and cured, made new and whole. And one of my favorite parts of the life of this church, Christ Central exists to see lives change, lives healed. That's why we exist. That's the biggest why. We want to see lives change as Christ becomes central. And one of the favorite parts is to hear stories of grace. Stories of grace. People's lives are being changed because they met Jesus. Miraculously. And if you think your story is mundane, please, please get away from that. You have to know that Jesus died for your story. No story is mundane that has been changed by Jesus. Every story of grace, every new member to his church, every baptism, every confirmation, every officer ordination, God willing, this next year, every single person is an answered prayer and fulfillment to God what he has laid upon our hearts for one more for the gospel. We want to see lives change, and in the last two years, we just focus about one more for the, for the gospel. Just one more, one more. What does that mean? We've been all about trying to invite one, one more new friend and raise one more new follower. New believers and new servant leaders for Christ. And we get to thank God and celebrate God for that today. But I want to show you here from this passage, what does it look like when someone's life is changed? What are the results of real faith in Jesus Christ? There's just two. There's just two. It's right here from the passage. First, faith has its results. First, faith returns with praise giving. Faith returns with giving praise to God. But strangely enough, we find out it's only one, one out of ten lepers. Jesus wonders aloud about this in verse 17. Didn't I heal or cleanse ten? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Well, I'll tell you what the other nine are doing. Just picture it with me. 
picture it with me. What are the other nine doing? They're still walking. They're still going. Where are they going? Jesus, you precisely told them to go to show themselves to the priests. They're going all the way to Jerusalem. Here's what the nine lepers were doing out of ten. They were simply doing their duty. They were being obedient. And they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus, you never told them to come back and give thanks. They're checking out the boxes and they're doing their job. Nothing more. Nothing more. Jesus, like, you never actually mentioned to them, hey, maybe you should come back and actually give praise and worship. They're just doing nothing more. Parrots, parrots, how intelligent, how creative, how, how incredible are these birds? They can mimic human voices. They can copy what human beings say. They're among the most intelligent birds. But their hearts are never in it. Their hearts are never in it. It could not be. You see, it's sheer duty. It's a pure job. But it's not grateful. It's routine. Jesus, this is exactly what you told me to do. I'm just going to stick to this. Nothing more. But it's not spontaneous or creative or anything overflowing with worship. Their hearts aren't in it. But there was only one, and there was one who returned with praise to Jesus. And that man was a Samaritan at that. A Samaritan. Samaritan culturally, ethnically, racially, theologically, intellectually, socially, economically, every which way or shape or form, they were despised. They were looked down upon. But out of the ten lepers, which one does come back? Which one does a little bit more to return with praise to God? It's the Samaritan leper. The Samaritans were the very people that the own disciples of Jesus once asked the Lord to send fire down upon them. Just get rid of them because they are so lowly and filthy and despised. And one of the ironic principles that emerges throughout all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the least likely people, and it still runs through today. I'll tell you as your pastor, it's guaranteed this principle works. The least likely people to get the Gospel, which is all about God's grace, usually do, and they return back to God with praise. But the most likely people... Grew up in church, no Sunday school lessons, memorize the Bible, are regularly dutiful and observant to the law, moral on the outside, very, very churched and cultured in Christianity. The most likely to get the gospel, can I just tell you? Usually don't. Because they assume the gospel is about their good works. And the most likely people to get the gospel, actually don't get the gospel so they don't ever return back to God with genuine praise. The first result of real faith in a Savior Jesus Christ who can heal you from every curse and disease and illness, inside out, is that like the Samaritan, you will return with praise. Who returns with praise to God? Only when you see in Jesus, you always get better than you deserve. 
When you get close to Jesus, you will drop the excuse-making and the blaming and shifting of your present miseries. You will beg to not get what you really deserve, but then you will receive in Jesus grace. And real faith in a gracious God and Savior named Jesus Christ will always bring you back with praise to God. You see, for Jesus to tell the lepers, go show yourselves to the priest, be cleansed and be cured, it was because only Jesus himself knew he would have himself have to become like a leper. He would have to become unclean. Isaiah 53 prophesied that the Messiah, the Savior, would have to come and take upon our very diseases, our very illnesses as results of our sin. And when Jesus Christ in history went and went and walked and walked and marched all the way into Jerusalem, I want you to know the historic result. He never got to come back and return praise to God. When Jesus Christ went all the way into Jerusalem, he would be cursed and forsaken and dismissed and shunned at the cross. He'd be crucified. He'd suffer and die so that he could make lepers whole. John Newton, the same author of that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, wrote a different hymn whose lyrics go like this. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Can we get those lyrics up? There it is. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, Jesus' beauty, are joined to part no more. So real faith in Jesus returns with praise giving for what you get in Jesus. That is an individual, private, act of worship. Wonderful. Praise God. But Jesus didn't stop here. I know I just read these verses, but this little story belongs to a greater story. And I cannot just stop here with the conclusion that Real faith results in returning with praise giving. Our story belongs to a larger story. Here's the second result. It's just the last one we'll focus on. Did you know that real faith in Jesus Christ also results in grace giving? Now you see, that brings about social change, relational change. If the first result is individual and private act of worship, praise giving... Real faith in Jesus always is shared. It'll bring about grace giving. It could actually heal, heal the world. Because you see, th th this is what mercy is. This is what the lepers got at first, was mercy. Mercy is to meet someone's practical need. We ordain new deacons. We've added to our deacon board. We have wonderful deacons. One of their main jobs is to be ministers and servants who distribute and execute and apply practical answers to practical, physical, even material needs. Mercy is to meet someone's need. Are you hungry? Yeah, here's food. You got kids? They're freezing at night? Yes, please get them some warm clothes and a blanket. Your toothaches? I'll take you to a dentist. You need a ride? I'll pick you up. You want some coffee? I'll give that to you. A lot of people in this room, we're really good at mercy, at least to family and friends. But do you know what grace is? Do you know what grace is? Grace is to give someone way beyond what they would deserve. 
You see, this is after your kids completely disobeyed you. This is after someone completely insulted or defied you. This is after someone made a mess of your house or your business. This is after someone backtalked and talked evil of you. Grace is to give someone well beyond what they deserve. Well beyond what they deserve. When was the last time you did grace giving? Oh, here's how you can tell if you've ever done grace giving. I heard this at the Gospel Coalition Conference, quote, Grace is costly to the giver, shocking to the observers, and traumatizing for the receiver. Grace is costly to the giver, shocking to the observers, and traumatizing for the receiver. How do we do grace giving? Jesus does not tell this story just so that you would do praise giving. He tells it part of a larger story with parables that we would also do grace giving. Here's how. It's vitally connected to the verses before. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10, right before our passage. Here's what Jesus taught. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Why did Jesus tell this very difficult to understand parable right before the story of cleansing ten lepers with only one to return with praise? To our modern ears, this story should be difficult to understand. It might even sound harsh. Here's a boss. Here's an employer. We think of employee or employer relationships. After a long, full day of work on the field, they come in, and the boss is basically saying, it's my turn to relax. I'm going to kick back. You still have to serve me. I'm going to eat. It's not your turn at all. You are just dutiful, unworthy servants. To our modern years, we think, oh, how rude, how abusive. We might even think, man, that violates California labor laws. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here in his day. On the other hand, we might think of, well, we, we have had slavery in American history slavery. Oh, that's not this case either. No, no, listen close. Jesus is talking about a situation that if you were in debt, especially of lower class in Jesus' day, you only had two options. You only had two options. There was no such thing as declaring bankruptcy. If you had debt, you had two options. One, you can go to prison. Two, you can become an indentured servant. If you were in debt, you want to repay that debt, you can go to prison or you can become a servant. And an indentured servant, which is not like slavery, is you are serving a boss or an owner, and there's a limit to it, one year, two year, three year, four year, and you just serve. You do your duty until that debt is repaid. By the way, in Jesus' day, there were no eight-hour days or overtime that was accounted for. You do your duty all the way to the end, and when you finished it, you've done your duty, and your debt is repaid. 
you are cleared. Why did Jesus tell this parable right before our story of cleansing two lep- ten, ten lepers? At least two reasons. At least two reasons. I think number one, you see, when you do not return with praise giving to God, you're just acting like dutiful servants. When you have no spontaneous, genuine overflow of worship and thanksgiving to God, well, it's because you've just, you've done your duty. Nothing more. Now, my friends, this is not horrible. In fact, this is pretty darn great. It's not horrible, but it's not honoring either. It's not the worst thing you could do. At least you do what Jesus told you to do, but it's not worshipful. It's very religious, very religious. You're observant and you do the right things, but you may not yet be a Christian. Did you know that Jesus Christ came all the way down to earth not to teach you to be good? Did you know that Jesus Christ's main objective and mission in life was not to make people good, but was actually make you gracious like him? Did you know that the end goal of what a Christian person means is not that you just become gooder, a little better, nicer. No, 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 no. Jesus came down to move you well beyond a good person to a person who would give grace. Give grace. That's at least one reason why he tells this parable of unworthy servants. But here's the second reason. Here's the second reason. You see, when you and I hold a debt over somebody, when you and I still insist that someone has to pay you back, you are still bitter and hateful toward that person, even when that person is repentant. When you and I refuse to forgive someone of their debts, my friend, can I tell you, you're a servant acting like a boss. The failure to return praise back to God means you're just being a dutiful servant. But the failure to forgive, to really release and set people free from their debts to you, oh, this is servants acting like they own things. I told you this whole thing is connected to the verses before, so we just keep going backwards. Here's the original reason why Jesus talked about 10 lepers cleansed ten lepers, and he told a parable about unworthy servants. Here's the original reason why Jesus started even teaching. Verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You do know that Jesus is not literally keeping count, that at seven you should cap out, you should stop. Seven is a number of finality and completion. It's symbolic of it's endless. Do you know that as a Christian person who is not just good but gracious, has the power and the resources to forgive someone again and again and again and again and again in the same day? He says you must, you must, if that person is repentant. Now, do you know how the disciples or the apostles responded to this teaching? They responded just like you and me. They said some gibberish and jargon. It was theological, evasive excuse-making. Here's what they basically said. 
They knew they don't want to forgive people. They knew they couldn't forgive people. They knew that that sermon kind of sucks. So here's what they said. Verse uh, verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. What they're saying is, oh, well, Jesus, you know, if you just made me believe more, like if I had stronger, bigger faith, then maybe I could forgive these folks. Jesus, seeing through all the charades, nails them at their heart. And in verse 6, here's what he responded with. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, if you had grain like a faith of, uh, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Here's Jesus' point. It really doesn't matter the size, the amount, the strength, or the greatness of your faith. Christianity is the one religion that will tell you the size and the strength and the greatness of what you do really pales in comparison to the size and the greatness and the strength of what he did. Jesus' point, if you had the tiniest, little, itty-bitty piece of real, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, he would move mountains of bitterness and hate and unforgiveness. He would uproot your filthy, dead heart and give you a new one. Jesus was saying, if you really had faith in me and what Jesus came to do for you, you would actually be able to clear someone's dead and forgive them. When you make people pay, my friends, friends, listen, listen. Someone hurt you. You can't forget it. Someone looked at you wrong, talked about you wrong, did wrong. They do not deserve anything good from you. We understand that. We can establish that all day until our faces turn blue. The whole world works like this. It is natural for you to want to get back at someone who has deprived you, robbed you, or hurt you. But what Jesus tells, what he came to do, was to give you the power and the resources to not only return to God with praise giving, but with grace giving for others. When you refuse to forgive, you know you're claiming to know what that person deserves. You're claiming to be like God. Can I ask you, do you really know what that person's been through? Do you know their whole story? Do you know what happened to them when they were 11? Do you know what happened to them at the end of high school? Do you know about their parents? Do you know about every situation and every trauma that that person has been through? Do you know everything about their lives? But yet you claim that you know everything about them because you're saying this is what this person deserves. But not only are you claiming knowledge about everything about the person, you are still claiming like you have the right to make that person pay. My friend, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what I'm doing when I do that? You're a servant trying to act like a boss. There's a great show. I haven't watched all the episodes. But season four, episode one of The Undercover Boss. So that's outstanding to me. You can go Google it, YouTube it. Don't do it right now. Season four, episode one. Modell's Sporting Goods. The owner himself named Mitch Modell. They go undercover. He works labor-intensive jobs at minimum wage. He's a large, physically out-of-shape man. He can barely hang. He trains and works at labor-intensive jobs. 
Well, he is stunned and embarrassed, embarrassed by his company's lack of communication between certain channels, especially upper management. He's hurt by the lack of details and care within his company. But he comes along a woman by the name of Angel who lives with their children in a homeless shelter and who has struggled to eat and she has slept at bus stops. While Mitch Modell was undercover as an employee like her, she was the one to encourage him to keep trying with the belief that life will get better. The ending of the show. Or like the beauty, the, the beast becomes a beauty, or you know, you know, that whole revelation. And the boss reveals himself. And here's what he told Angel at the end of this episode. That she is above and beyond any expectations that he could have. He promotes her on the spot to assistant manager with a $14,000 raise. And he has upon him a check for $250,000. So that she and her children can immediately move out of the, move out of the homeless shelter. And find a new place. Angel, of course, she collapses in tears. Now, why is that? And why would that be so moving? Because when a boss has that kind of grace for a servant, you do know it's so rare. But did you know that the ultimate, the ultimate boss, the ultimate owner of all, the, all, all of the universe, that he became a servant for you? Do you know that he came down to pay off an unpayable crushing debt that we owe? Do you know that he suffered infinitely and died an infinite value price tag to his death? so that we might be debt-free. Because one of his final words while he was crucified upon a cross was, it is finished, it is finished. In the Greek, that means in full, total, I paid it all. Nothing left that you will owe. If you're having problems forgiving someone, if you're having problems giving grace, if you're having problems releasing and letting go of people's debts to you, you must be really having problems looking at Jesus. You must have forgotten that the ultimate boss became a lowly servant for you. And when he came, he didn't make you pay at all. So stop acting like a boss. And a much, 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 much worse one at that and not like his gracious servant. If you have the tiniest amount, itty-bitty amount of real faith, and as you see people come forward, no matter their age or stature or size or income level, what makes anyone great in the kingdom of God is not the amount of faith you have. It's who's your savior. And anyone this day that has real faith in Jesus Christ, and you really do grasp, and you get the gospel of what he has done for you, you're going to move and clear mountains that get in the way of returning back to God with praise giving and grace giving for a broken, dying world. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that the richness, the truth, 
the power of your gospel might produce real faith. And that you would set us free. Set us free to praise you from the heart, to worship you and to love you and to follow you. Oh, Lord, and set us free to set others free. Forgive us our debts as you have forgiven our debtors. For we pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen.